We're going to read the Word of God now from the book of Isaiah, chapter 41. The book of Isaiah, chapter 41. While you're turning to it, could I just thank your minister for the opportunity to be here today and to fellowship with you. And we pray the Lord indeed will bless us. It's a lovely building. First time I've preached here in your new building. And certainly it's tremendous to be here at this building. Now, uh, coming in, of course, I've known some of you for a number of years, uh, and some have been very gracious and reminded me how long. (laughs) Uh, In the porch beforehand, uh, Mrs. Crawford said to me, oh, you haven't changed, or you haven't changed much, and she's thinking back over 35 years ago. But I couldn't help thinking, a few years ago I was at Ballygown at a funeral, had a clerical collar on, and coming back from it, I stopped in Cumber, a garage I don't usually stop at, and this man looked at me, and I saw him looking, and coming out, he introduced himself. He says, you're the Reverend Johnson. I said, that's right. I says, you're a minister, obviously. the No, I said, I used to live beside you. Now, that was 1980 to 81, when we came back from New Guinea. I couldn't remember his name. I remembered the other neighbors. And he said, I, I, I see you now and again on different things or heard seen my name. He said, you haven't changed a bit. And that was about, what, 10 years ago, about 30 years. And I thought, boy, that's amazing. By the way, I'll tell you what he was doing. This will shock you. Do you know what he was doing? The garage there at Cumber, he was searching the schoolgirls' bags, school bags, on the way out. Because there's so much pilfering and stealing. And they couldn't ban the children. School children. Somebody went to court to stop. They couldn't ban them. So they had somebody at the door making sure they weren't stealing. Isn't that awful day we live in? But anyway, I raced home and uh, didn't break. Don't think they broke a speed limit. But home and I said to my wife, Emma, you'll never guess. I met those people next door. She remembered their names. And I said, you know what he said? I haven't seen you personally in all those years, and you haven't changed a bit. And my wife burst out laughing, just like that. She said, Ron, what he meant was you were old, grey, and ugly back then too. (laughs) So it's great to have a wife encourages you and uh, keeps going. But I hope it was said in fun. But anyway, it is good to see you, some of you I don't know, but it is good to be here today and to share in the gospel and in the work of the Lord. Now we're in Isaiah chapter 41. Very quickly, the historical background. Isaiah is prophesying that very soon the nation of Judah will be carried captive, carried captive into Babylon. They'd be there for 70 years. Can you imagine the fear that would put in their minds? Imagine an invading army coming into our country, destroying your home, taking you away captive hundreds of miles away from home, no way of getting back. You're going to be carried captive, but fear not. And in the first verses, the prophet describes that the gods of these mighty nations like Babylon, they may seem mighty, but they're only idols. But although in my providence you're carried captive, I am your God. Don't you fear. That's the whole message that Isaiah is bringing through. And what an encouragement that would have been to men like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, Ezekiel. Because this passage particularly would have spoken to them because all those men were carried captive. They experienced the horror of being taken away from their home. So we'll just read from verse 8 of the chapter. 
So verse 8 of Isaiah 41. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend, those whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. Fear thy not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them, and shalt not find them, even them that contended with thee. They that war against thee shall be as nothing, and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thy worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. May the Lord bless this reading of his own infallible word. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Book of Isaiah, we're chapter 41, and we're at verse 10 of the chapter. Fear thou not. Fear thou not. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the hymns we've been singing, for what our minds have dwelt upon. We pray now as we turn to thy precious word that we'd understand this command of scripture, and indeed we would be able to obey it by looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we'd ask it. Amen. As we said, introducing the reading, this wonderful promise in verse 10 would have been especially a blessing to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Ezekiel, and others that were about to be carried captive. But it is relevant to us today as well. First thing I want to point out is, fear not reminds me that fear is common. Fear is common. There are natural fears we all have by being human. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. There's fears of getting sick, fears of loneliness, fears of aging, fear of the future, financial fears, so, so many fears that are common to all mankind. And you know that these natural fears can often uh, have great effect upon us. It can cause our palms to sweat. It can tie your stomach into knots. It'll take hours to unravel. It'll cause your blood pressure to skyrocket and your courage to sink like a stone. It can cause uh, the blood not to go as quick to the brain and can cause you to faint. It can actually, and I was interested in this one looking it up, it can cause cold feet. You know the expression, you're afraid you get cold feet. Well, that's true medically, though I'm not a doctor nor the son of a doctor. It can cause death because sudden Terrifying fear can cause a heart attack and you can literally be scared to death. Fears, they're common to all mankind because we're human. 
but then many experience unnatural fears. What we mean is one person doesn't mind and another afraid. Mice, spiders, snakes. <laughs> Some people get very afraid, others will just play with the snake. People that can have phobias. Phobia is something that one person has and, oh, they're terrified another person would laugh at it. But they might have another phobia. Julius Caesar, the courageous Roman general, came over and conquered much of England. You know, they say he was afraid of thunder. And when he heard thunder, he would get underneath a table and, you know, whelp like a, a scared puppy dog. Some of you remember, I could give many, many examples, but for time, evil can evil. Some of you are old enough to remember the stunt motorbike man. I know how many bones he broke. He'd jump over on the bike, buses and so on. He went across the Grand Canyon in America with rockets strapped to the motorbike. You say, wow, what a courageous man. He was scared to put his foot on the first step of the gangplank on the airplane. He wouldn't fly because he had a phobia about flying, which many other people share. So there's natural fears. They're common. It's common to have a phobia about a particular fear that can terrify you. But of course, being a Christian, we can say there are diabolical fears. What do I mean by that? Satan tries to cause us to fear. He's a spirit of fear. He's the one who would cause us to fear and doubt our salvation. He's the adversary, the accuser of the brethren. He'll come like a roaring lion. So I'm saying fear is common. And yes, even when you're a Christian, oh, I know you'd say, oh, yes, we're told never to fear with Christ. We know that. But yet we're human and we fail. And we have to say, even as God's people, we have to admit and confess. Now, it's our fault, not God's, but we do fear. We do fear. That's reality. That's reality. So that's the first point. Fears are common. And it can be, but when you fear, you turn to a verse like this. That's the point. Yes, because we're human, fear will suddenly strike. Ah, but then I'm a Christian. Through Christ, I can claim this promise. Let me think upon it again. The Bible says I'm not to fear because he's with me. He'll uphold me with his hand. That's how you overcome. I think of an example. I love to read about him. I'm sure you have. I've seen interviews with his um, sister and so on. Uh, Eric Liddell, the famous rugby player for Scotland, studying, of course, at university to be a missionary doctor, and he did go back to China, died in the internment camp under the Japanese he was brought up in China with missionary parents. He was also, of course, the famous runner, Chariots of Fire. Wouldn't run on the Lord's Day at the Olympics, 1924 in Paris. When they came and said, oh, the time's been changed. You have to run for England on the Sunday. No. <laughs> and he wouldn't give in. Do you know what he wrote? That never caused him a fear at all. He wasn't worried about that. He didn't have to think about whether to run or not. He had his mind made up. But you know what terrified him? A couple of years before, when he was still at university, but became well-known as the rugby player, as a Christian, as the famous runner, he was asked to give his testimony, his life story, to a group of Scottish miners. And he was petrified. 
And that, and that is a common fear for people to public, speak, public speaking. It is a common fear. He was petrified. And he sweated over and got before the Lord. And he finally said, Lord, I'll go. Even though I'm petrified. He received a letter from his sister Jenny, written from China some weeks before. And she finished the letter. And then it just said, Eric, always remember Isaiah 41 and 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. And she quoted the verse. She didn't know any of the fears that were going on in his mind. I don't know what fears you could have this morning. Maybe you're here, I have no fears, and what's wonderful. Well, let me burst your bubble. You will one day have a fear. It will come. But thank God with a verse like this. Fears are common, but then I want you to notice this is a conditional verse, a conditional. It's not for everyone. This verse is not beautiful words for anybody and everybody. No, it's for a particular group. You look closely at verse 10. Fear thou not, I am with thee. And says, for I am thy God, I will strengthen thee. You see it, thee, thee, thee. It's for a particular people. It's not for everybody. Who's it for? Well, in verse 8, it's his chosen people. Do you see that in verse 8? His chosen. Are you one of the chosen of the Lord? Maybe you say, well, oh, they must be a wonderful, holy, deserving, really spiritual, great people to be chosen by the Lord. No, you couldn't be more wrong. Thinking of the nation of Israel, God chose them not because you were many, but because I loved you. That's why. He didn't choose us because we deserved it. The chosen of the Lord. And look at that. It brings out in verse 8 to Jacob. Now, it wasn't Jacob literally. He was the ancestor. But Jacob's a word that means twister, liar, deceiver. He wasn't a very nice man in his character. Now, the Lord saved him and loved him and changed him. Loved him to change him. But Jacob is a word, and as wonderful as the God of Jacob, because Jacob didn't deserve anything. And look at verse 14. They're described as worms. <laughs> Who are the chosen of the Lord? Worms. A worm is something insignificant, something you would stamp upon. And that's us. God's chosen people, and to whom this verse is, we recognize that we're nobodies, we're nothings, we're undeserving, ill-deserving, hell-deserving, worms. Now, how does the Lord choose us? Well, that word worm, just let me spend a couple of minutes on it. Can't be too long, but it's interesting that word worm translated there. We are worms in that sense, but how did the God provide redemption and make us his redeemed people? It speaks about the Redeemer. Because God the Son in the covenant of redemption, became man. He took into himself, a, on, into union, a human body, a human nature without sin, and he lived that holy life we could never live for us. And then on Calvary, he died the death we deserved. And in dying that death, he was despised and rejected, and he was treated like a worm. The great creator. Psalm 22, verse 6 you want to turn to it, fine. Psalm 22, verse 6, a prophetic psalm by David. It begins with the words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It finishes with, He accomplished this, it is finished, in other words. Verse 16 of Psalm 22 talks about how they pierced my hands and feet. 
It's a prophecy written hundreds of years before of Christ and Calvary. And in Psalm 22, verse 6, it says, I am a worm. Now, man would never dare write that of our blessed Savior, the Creator. And it's as if in Calvary he's saying, I'm just like a worm. Why? To save us worms. What does it mean he was a worm? Well, he was trampled on, he was despised, he was spat upon, he was scourged, but there's more to it. Because that word worm is also translated often in Scripture as scarlet. You say, how can that be? A worm, a little insect, beetle-like creature? How can it be translated scarlet? That's a color. When they made the tabernacle, and the high priest's garments over and over again. You'll read scores of times. Purple, blue, scarlet. And it's the same word, worm. You're saying, but how can the same Hebrew word be for worm and scarlet? Well, you think about it. If I'm saying, would you like an or orange? What do you mean? Do you mean the orange or the color? Well, if you had lived in New Guinea where we lived, not where we're, but up in the mountains, if you went to the market, you could buy an orange orange or a green orange. <laughs> Do you know there's a variety of oranges that never went orange? Yes, you know, the outside, it was green, even though inside it was ripe to eat. So you go and ask the grocer tomorrow, could have a green orange, and they look at you. <laughs> but I assure you, those were in the market. They were ripe, and inside was the orange. But they're green. You see, the color and the fruit, same terms used. And you see, what happened is this. When the women made the dye for the thread of the tabernacle, God ordained it, make it scarlet. Because scarlet to this very day, if you ladies are buying thread, quite probably it's dyed with the cochineal beetle. Those little insects, they're farmed over in the Middle East to this very day. Yes, to this very day. Wife told me one day she saw it in the cookery program. They're squashed, and it's amazing, powerful scarlet dye. And as I said to some of you coming in, if you happen to look at the sweets, <laughs> do you know most of the sweets coloring that are in the sweets put you off Christmas sweets now? They're actually used that same scarlet dye from the little creature. Do you no harm, by the way? You ladies, when you bake with food coloring that's red, yes, it's colored. Not making it up. You go and check it out. It's called E120. It's not synthetic. What am I saying? Oh, isn't it wonderful? In order to make us his people, the Lord Jesus Christ became man without sin. And on Calvary, think of the suffering. Think of those little creatures been crushed to provide the scarlet dye. On Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ was treated like a worm by men, but he shed his precious blood so that we could become his. And if you can say that this morning, I know I'm a nothing. But my Lord Jesus Christ became my redemption. Well, then this verse is for you. If you're not saved, it's not for you. But then you, you look there and you say in verse 8, it can't be for me. It can't be for me because it says in verse 8, the seed of Abraham, and I'm not a Jew. I'm not either. But I'm a descendant of Abraham. You say, how can that be? Well, read the book of Galatians. Paul said in Romans, not all Israel are Israel. What did he mean? Not every nationally descended Jew is one of God's redeemed people. They never were, even in the Old Testament. No, it was those who were believers. 
And today in Galatians 3, Paul said that the promise of Abraham might come upon we Gentiles. Christ went to Calvary, that we would share in the promise to Abraham. And Galatians 3, verse 29 sums it up. It's undeniable. And Paul says this, and he's writing to a Gentile church, if ye be Christ's, are you Christ this morning? Are you saved? If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Now, of course, we're not Jews in that sense, the national people. We know that. But if you're a believer, you're blessed on Abraham. So verse 8, you are Abraham's seed spiritually. This verse is for you. I'm saying, don't you think, oh, this is for the Old Testament saints. It's nothing to do with me. It has. It's for you this morning. But then I want you to notice very quickly, it's a command. It's a command. It doesn't say, now, Christian, if you're saved and redeemed by Christ's blood, here's good advice. Don't be afraid. No, it's not good advice. It's not wishful thinking. It's a command of God. Therefore, if you're being afraid, you're sinning. Now, what we mean by that is, of course fear will hit you. That's not sin. We're human. We'll shake. We'll be terrified. But then we stop and we begin to think, the Lord's with me. And you begin to think of verse 10 here. He'll not leave me. He will uphold me. And when you begin to focus that you're the chosen of the Lord, you share in Abraham's blessing, you're the Lord's, he'll be with you, then the fear goes. That's the point. It's getting your understanding the facts here. It's a command of Scripture. You see, why do we fear? Do you know when Adam and Eve lived in the garden, there was no vocabulary, there was no word in their vocabulary for fear. Fear didn't exist. First time you read the word fear is when Adam sinned deliberately, defiantly against God. And when the Lord came in the cool of the evening, what did Adam and Eve do? They tried to hide. And the Lord said, Adam, where art thou? And what did he say? We had tried to hide because we were afraid. Fear comes because of sin. Now, I'm not saying every time you fear is because of your personal sin. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. But fears and sins in the West, why there's wars and trouble and sickness and accident, what we call accidents and so on, because we live in a world that's fallen because of sin. Fear is because of sin. Because sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth what? Death. Death is the greatest fear, the last great enemy we face, 1 Corinthians 15. Why are we afraid of death? And it is natural to fear death. Why? Because after death, the judgment. That's why. We know, and everybody knows that whether they try and profess themselves to be an atheist or not, deep down in their consciousness, they know they'll stand before a holy God. And we can never be good enough. And therefore, we fear death. Ah, but you see, the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. Why? To destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. And to deliver those who were in bondage of the fear of death. Christ came to deliver us from the fear of death. Of course, being human, you have to be realistic here. Of course, there's a natural fear. But you see, when you begin to focus on Christ, you overcome that fear. That's what I'm saying. 
And how did the Lord do that? Well, sin and fear come into the world because of the first Adam, all right, in the garden. First man, Adam. But do you know in another garden, the second man, he who is called the last Adam, delivered us from fear. How? Because remember John 19, 41, nearby where he was crucified, there was a garden. Do you ever dwell upon the fact that the cross was erected in a garden? It was in a garden our Savior was crucified. Where was he buried? In a garden. And that's good news. That's part of the gospel. Why is it good news? Can you imagine Joseph of Arimathea in whose tomb the Savior's body was laying for those three days and three nights? Can you imagine Joseph thinking about his coming death and being human, being afraid? And then he could stop and think, why am I afraid? My Savior's laying in my tomb before me. And that's true for every believer in a, in a sense. Christ, our Savior, has gone through death and conquered it for us. And there'll be the glorious resurrection. And he was, re he was raised in the garden. Oh, thank God. Therefore, the command is when we focus on Christ. And remember, the Christian life is not by feeling. We Christians do not have blind faith. No, we don't. Our faith is, is factual. It's factual. Faith is not some airy-fairy, mystical, blind faith. It's in fact. Fact. And if you... Our faith is based on fact. You put your faith in those facts, then come the feelings. So many even Christians get it back to front. They want a feeling. No, no, you've got to get the fact first. What's the fact of verse 10? Well, look at who's saying it. Earlier in the chapter, the first and the last. Jehovah, the Almighty, the God who cannot lie, I am with you. You see, you get your mind on the fact he has redeemed me. Christ died for me. He shed his blood for me. He'll uphold me. He'll be with me. And you believe in that. You say amen to that. Then comes the feeling. Don't get the order wrong. That's when you can obey the command. And then the last thought, fears are common. But a conditional promise says, believer, you don't need to fear. In fact, there's a command. Don't fear. And there's wonderful comfort. When God gives you a command, he always gives a reason. He always gives the enablement. Look at the enablement in the verse 10. The comfort, I say, that goes with the command. You see that? Fear not for, for. Be not dismayed for. Here's why. Here's why you can obey the command and not be afraid. The fact of who he is. Now look, three times he says, I will, I will, I will. Do you see that? If you look closely at verse 10, I'll just point them out. Five comforting reasons. Fear not, for I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yea, well that means yes or moreover, surely. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. That's the comfort this morning. If you're facing some trial and you're wondering, how can I face the future? Is it loneliness? Fear of illness? So many fears we could mention. How can I face that? Well, if you know Christ as your Savior, here's the reasons. Here's the comforting reasons. I dare not speak in those five. 
just for a very few minutes. Look at the last one. Now you think of the Lord's hand, how powerful, how almighty the hand of the Lord is. I think of an American jazz musician, not Tommy Dorsey, another man was very famous, but this was a black musician in the 1920s, very, very famous, played in jazz bands, composed many famous hits as those days. He had been brought up in a Christian home, but got away from the Lord completely, wrote many suggestive lyrics and so on. He was in playing in his band. He got a telegram. In those days, it was telegrams. That's before mobile phones, believe it or not, <laughs> way back in the 1920s. And he got a telegram to come home immediately. He got the train back to Chicago. His wife was giving birth, premature. He sat by her bed with the doctor that night, and she died. Baby was born, but in an hour or two it died. For days and days, he wouldn't speak to anybody. He was so depressed. Friends said, why don't you go to the piano? And one day he went over to the piano, and he began to think over what he had been taught of the gospel and how his life had got far away from God. And he began being a great pianist at the piano, and he wrote a lovely gospel song. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When my way grows drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand, lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me on. Of course, he gave up the jazz career. He actually worked the rest of his life composing Christian lyrics and songs and became a choir leader in a large, large Baptist church. Served the Lord. Do you know anything about the Lord taking your hand? Do you know the Savior? Have you ever turned to him and realized you need him with you? You need to be saved. Because if you're not saved, this verse isn't for you. Or maybe this morning you are saved, but you still have doubts. I know there's some Christians say, oh, if you have any doubts, you couldn't really be saved. Well, see, it's Spurgeon. You know what he said? I doubt the person that never doubted. So that's encouraging for you. Are you full of doubts? 1906. A young man had professed faith with Christ, in Christ, and he began to help with the evangelistic team of a man called Wilbur Chapman and Charles Alexander. Some of us older ones remember the Alexander hymn books. <laughs> he came to St. George's Market, by the way, in Belfast and had great crusades. He married Helen Cadbury. I'm sure you're all aware of the wonderful story of Helen Cadbury and the Pocket Testament League and the millions of New Testaments. But anyway, can't go into that. But uh, this man was actually working with them. But he still had doubts. Can I hold on my salvation? What if I don't believe enough and keep believing? Will I lose it? And he was so troubled, he wrote all the way to England to a lady called Ada Haversham. Now, they still publish her books to this day. She actually gave lectures on the parables, the tabernacle. She wasn't a minister, didn't believe in women ministers, but yet she did give lectures, a friend of Spurgeon, a friend of many more, people like that. And he wrote all the way back to her to ask her for some guidance on how to be absolutely sure of the future. 
So in answering the letter, she composed another poem. And it was sent all the way to America. And the young man submitted it to a magazine. It became a hymn. Well, I should say music was put to it. Some years ago, an American wrote uh, a, another tune that wasn't, hadn't been sung before. He composed a tune. I love the words. I love it sing, sung. Listen to what she wrote back to this young man who was unsure of his salvation, had doubts. Listen. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he can hold me fast. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. I am precious in his sight, he will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost, Christ will hold me fast. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. That's what verse 10 is saying. He will uphold you. He will uphold you. Isn't that wonderful? That's the confidence this morning. That's why you need not fear. He will hold your hand. Oh, today what we need is the consciousness when fear strikes and it will, is the Lord, as it were, putting his hand upon you and holding you. I'll tell one more story. There's a great preacher, Douglas Macmillan. You may have his book in Psalm 23, very good Scottish, obviously, a name like that. And he was a little boy, little son, a toddler, was helping him carry the removing house books up to the study in the manse. And he gave his son a few pamphlets and he carried those. But all of a sudden he heard, wild, you know, yelling. His son was crying and crying because he had a big bundle of books and was trying to drag them up the stairs and couldn't. He says, Daddy, I can't do it. I can't do it. You may think this is a very simple illustration, but I love it. <laughs> you know what Douglas wrote? He said, you know what I did? He was crying, crying, Daddy, I'm trying. I can't. He says, I just bent down and I lifted up in my arm and I carried him and the books all the way up to the room. He said, there you are, son. You've carried them up. Believer, that's you. That's me. There'll be times, well, all the time we need him, but there's times we'll be conscious we can't. We're in need. But the Lord will uphold you with the right hand of his righteousness. May God encourage us in the time of fear.